Jeremiah chapter 18. My message today is simply stay on the wheel. Jeremiah chapter 18, I will begin in verse number 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And yes, I forgot to dismiss the kids for Sunday school. Pottery was a vital part of the economic structure in Old Testament times. It was a major industry making vessels of all kinds, bowls and cups and vials and all kinds of things. If you had gone down to the potter's house in those days, you would have seen one or more extremely muscular men sitting at extremely crude machinery making pottery. They would sit on a wooden seat and they would have a small table in front of them. That table would be fastened to them with a belt, and there would be this large rock about the size of an automobile tire. And the potter would turn the bottom of the table with his feet and work on that clay with his hands, making pottery required strength in so many ways. Strength physically, but strength in creativity and being able to see the, the clay as you were making it. This is probably what Jeremiah saw on that day. And it was a familiar sight that he had seen over and over and over again. Today we have all these fancy equipment that if you put a piece of clay on a potter's wheel, you press a button and the thing spins like it's going 100 miles an hour. But today, I want all of us to see that God was using the potter's house to teach Jeremiah and all of Israel and all of us a lesson. He picked up a seemingly useless, shapeless lump of clay. I know everyone comes into the house of God looking to be renewed and refreshed and encouraged in their walk with the Lord for whatever they're going to face in the week ahead. And so I'm going to call you, and I'm going to encourage you today by calling you useless, shapeless, a lump of clay. I didn't expect any amens on that anyway. (laughs) Psalm 30 says, He brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock and established my steps. He brought you and I out of the place of sin and destruction. And it still amazes me that people can seek love or beauty or truth in any other place but in the home of Almighty God. You and I can add to this list of shapeless and clueless and useless and hopeless. We can add fruitless. 
without God. He sets our feet on a rock. And I'm going to look at that rock today as the potter's wheel because he sets us on a rock because how many know all of us need some work? Every single one of us needs some work. Now, I know many of you listening to me today, I get it. You're perfect. So listen to this message, hopefully, so that you can help somebody else in their road. First thing he does with the clay is he places it in a vat of water and lets it soak there for a good long time. Truth is, in order for you and I to truly begin this process of being a disciple of the Lord and letting, him and, and, and letting our lives truly follow him, we must be soaked in the word of God. Not just catching it here and there, not getting snippets of it from different devotionals, although those are important, but we must be soaked in the word of God. Sunday morning won't do it. Adding something during the week, whether here or someplace else, that's a good start. But we need to get soaked in the word of God. And that word soak literally means every aspect of the clay got wet. You look wet. I remember my oldest son, Andrew, when he was really young, maybe six or seven, we had come home from wherever we were, and it was pouring rain. I mean, pouring rain. I really thought God had gone back on his word, and we were going to have another kind of Noah situation. It was pouring rain. And we're all rushing to get inside, and my son is just standing out there in the rain, like this, getting, and I just yelled out to him, Andrew, you're getting soaking wet. And he smiled and said, yeah, it's great. You see, so many people don't like to get wet because they don't like to look wet. They don't like the way their appearance changes when they get soaking wet. And sadly, People also don't like the way their life changes when their life becomes soaked by the word of Almighty God. They don't like the fact that when it comes to what the word of God says about that life and they truly let it sink in to where they are soaked with it, that changes happen. You even look different. And I'm telling everyone here, we need to get soaked, soaking wet in the word of God. And it wouldn't hurt like my son if we enjoyed it. If we liked looking wet, yes, I, my life, every part of who I am is soaked in the word of God. You look wet. You feel wet. So before we attempt to be this great vessel for God, let us take time to study his word, be rooted and grounded in his word so that we can then learn to be sensitive to his will when he begins to shape us for whatever work he has for us to do. But pastor, how will I know when I'm soaking wet with his word? Pretty simple. You'll know you're soaked with his word when you follow it. So many people say, I know the word of God front and back. I've read it through many times. I study it every day. The question is not what time you put into studying it. How much time has the has it taken for the word of God to change our lives, change our attitudes, change the way we look at other people, change the way we look at ourselves? So many Christians that I come in contact with have this 
thing about, well, I'm nothing. I'm just this lowly person. No, God calls you the apple of his eye. God calls you more than a conqueror. He calls you his child. And that's what we need to, to follow. So we get soaked first. Let's get back to the potter's house. Jeremiah then watches as the potter removes the clay from the vat of water and slaps it on a, on a forming wheel. And then the, pot, the potter will slap it and punch it. He pushes it. He squeezes it between his hands. Then he slaps it again on the wheel and again and again and again. Why? He's trying to get lumps out. Because lumps will make the vessel flawed and marred, especially during the firing process, which we'll get to later. Lumps will make it unuseful. Now, you please need to be careful how you quote Pastor Hiram after hearing this message. I am not insinuating that the Lord slaps you around. I need to say that again. The Lord, I don't believe the Lord slaps us around. But we must remember that God sometimes allows different situations to come into our lives, different trials and temptation, so that we can be formed, we can be strengthened. And our faith can be tried. First Peter chapter one, verse number seven, that the genuineness of your faith being more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God wants you to be a holy vessel. God wants you to be a pure vessel. God wants you to grow and mature. God wants you to have a faith that all will see whether they look at it as an um, and embrace it or not, he wants each of us to have a faith that is genuine. That means lumps, imperfections, immaturity, weaknesses, especially old ones, need to go. It's one thing if you have this weakness in your life when you come to the Lord. But if that weakness is still there in a controlling way, 20, 25 years later, that's not how the word of God, that's not how our journey with Jesus should go. It's a process, but these things still have to go. If these things aren't gone, they will bring defeat in your Christian life. They will pop up at the worst times. So allow God to work on you with his hands. Be patient as he roughs you up a little bit. Anyone ever felt that roughing up a little bit? And removes the rough spots. He's only trying to work those rough spots out only to make you the beautiful vessel that he sees you are in his mind there's one more startup process after the clay is smoothed out the potter would have taken a piece of wire and cuts right through the center of that lump because he wants to make sure that not just the outside is good he's concerned about the inside Ever run into someone who looked tremendously amazing and good on the outside, but were a complete mess on the inside? And I'm not specifically pointing to the, the person you see in the mirror, but we're there too. Yes, we want to look our best. We want to be presentable. We want to exemplify a good impression to other people. But God is concerned and God is focused on the inside of you. Outside flaws mar the appearance. Inside flaws will cause the vessel 
to crack when placed in the fire. Outside stuff, habits people can see, behaviors that can get in the way, but they're visible. Inside stuff, pride, jealousy, unforgiveness, basically anything hidden, although hopefully every one of us realizes it's not hidden from God. These things will get in the way, but they will get in the way at the worst times. They will get in the way when the fire comes because they, the fire will expand and accentuate those inside cracks, those inside flaws, especially when the fire is turned up high. And all of us have been in those situations when it's not just a fire, it just seems it's turned up high. Because the fire is coming. But the fire's intent for God's people is to purify us, not destroy us. So now Jeremiah makes the, watches the potter as he goes through the process. He observes him as he places the clay on the molding wheel, and it goes round and round and round. And it seems like it's going nowhere. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way in God's hands? That I'm just... I'm going round and round. We get a little impatient sometimes. We want to be used by God, and yet we don't see the results that we expect. That oftentimes, if we're honest, we even demand. Things aren't just happening the way I thought this was going to be. But now the question becomes, who is the potter and who is the clay? It's not your job, it's his job. If we want God to make something of our lives, I go back to the title of this message, stay on the wheel. Stay in his presence. Stay working in whatever God has planted you to do. If that piece of clay decides that the pottery isn't working fast enough and jumps off the wheel, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to become not just a useless and shapeless piece of clay, it'll become an old useless and shaped and pointless lump of clay. Stay on the wheel. For as the wheel begins to turn, the potter places his hands around the clay and begins to shape some sort of vessel. But it's the vessel that the potter sees in his mind. You see, the potter is the one. The shape of the vessel is chosen by the potter, not you and I. The kind of vessel that the clay will become is beforehand chosen. Even before you came to the Lord and before the Lord really placed his hands on your life, he had an idea of what vessel you were going to become. That kind of vessel will become what he wants. He decides what the clay is going to be. The clay does not get to offer advice to the potter. First of all, back in Old Testament times, if the clay started speaking to the potter, the potter would have probably gone running. Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the, and these are pieces of clay, with the pieces of clay of earth. Shall the clay say to whom who forms it, what are you making? Or shall the handiwork say, he has no hands? Essentially, Isaiah is saying, do we get to say to God, what are you doing? Now I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. Has anyone ever looked at God and said, what are you doing? <laughs> I know I have. 
Because, you know, if I were God, Lord, which is a funny thing to say to God anyway, if I were in your shoes, I would have done things a little different. I would have gone left where you went right. I would have gone right where you went left. Or I would have gone left or right where you stood still. Who is the potter? And who is the clay? Thing is, for all of our attempts to control our lives and to guide them, we also have a long list and a pile of mess as a result of us trying to become the potter. But we know that we have a faithful God, a faithful Lord and Savior, who is able to guide our lives in ways that we can't even imagine. Or woe to the person that resists the hand of God upon his or her life. Woe to that person who strives against what God is trying to make out of you. And I've shared my story. That was me for so long. I was faithful to being part of a local church. I was faithful to be a a part of it in teaching and helping and doing everything I can except what God wanted, except the vessel he saw. God has a purpose for your life. He's already chosen it, what he wants you to be. It's preordained. To kick against it puts you in the category of what the book of Proverbs says over 58 times, fool. And that's what I was for so long. As a disciple, we do not question God's purpose for our lives. Our job is to make the joyful choice, even when it's not always comfortable, to stay on the wheel. Staying on the wheel when things aren't going the way we would have planned. Staying on the wheel when things are happening to our loved ones that we don't understand. Staying on the wheel when it just seems that the world is going nuts and everything is coming against God and his people. Our job is to stay on the wheel. It's not to change the wheel. It's not to modify the wheel. It's not to make the wheel more comfortable for the outside world. Our God, uh, our point, our job is to stay on the wheel and be his people as he forms us into the vessels he wants. We do not resist the hands of the potter as he is trying to shape us into the vessel he wishes. Neither do we look on God's shelf full of vessels and say, I want to be like that vessel over there. I want to be like him or her. I want to sing like he does or play an instrument like she does. I want a personality like that person and so on. But we are letting the potter shape our lives just the way they are into what pleases him. And it doesn't make any sense if our vessel is placed on the king's table or it's placed in some obscure corner somewhere. When we're doing what God wants us to do, when we're fulfilling our purpose, there is no greater blessing, no greater feeling, no greater comfort than I am where God wants me. I thank God every week for this church it's where God wants me. I don't look at any other church. I remember long ago, long, long ago, when I first started being a minister and working with churches, and the first church I pastored out in Riverhead. And, you know, when pastors get together, you realize although they're pastors, they're also human beings, which means when they get together, they can be stupid. 
And sometimes they talk about, well, how big is your church? How big is your church? How big is your church? And they're quoting these amazing numbers, and then they would turn to me at a church out in Riverhead that was basically, at one point, every single person in the congregation had my last name. And only my last name. It might as well have been called the Claudio Church of God. So they're asking one another, and this thought came to me. I don't know where it came from. It might have come from God. It might have come from the devil. Who knows? But I said, they said, Pastor Hiram, how big is your church? Oh, we're running between one and 200. And they looked at me with amazing eyes. And someone who knew my situation goes, what did you just say? You just lied to them. I go, no, I didn't lie. We're running between one and 200. Four people is between one and 200. You can decide if what I did was right or wrong. But even in that situation, it's where God wanted me to be. And God let me see that church grow into a church that was much closer to 200 than one. God wants us to be content where he puts us and be the vessels he shapes us to be. Looking at other vessels, looking at other people, is not going to get us where we need to be. We allow the potter to shape us into what pleases him. I've said it before. It's the title of the message. Beloved, stay on the wheel. Until God forms you into a vessel that will be useful for the kingdom of God. Now you may say, Pastor, I was used by God once. I was faithful to him once, and then something went wrong. I fell away. I became fearful of things. I'm no longer following him the way I should. I've made mistakes. I've failed. I've come up short. One of the parts of this portion of scripture in Jeremiah 18 that is so precious to me is where it says that the clay became marred in the potter's hands. Jeremiah saw a potter that was forming a vessel, and it became marred while it was still in his hands. And yes, while you and I are still in God's hands, we can do stupid. But the potter didn't throw the clay away. Never, ever get the impression that no matter how far you drift, no matter what poor choices you make, that God will ever throw you away. He loves you, and he always will. Oh, he could have thrown that clay away. The clay was in his hands. He had the option of throwing it into this just pile of useless clay that would lay out in some field somewhere. But Jeremiah saw the potter take the marred piece of clay and begin to reshape it, begin to do it all over again. He doesn't throw his people away. He will never throw you away. He will reshape you as many times as it takes to get to the image he has in his mind of what your life should be. Now, I'm glad for two things in that reshaping, because my life has been reshaped many times, that our God will be gentle and our God will be firm, and only he has the ability to do both. Some of you may be here today that you've become marred in the hands of God, at one time, he was working something out in you. At one time, he was making something out of your life, and then something went wrong. 
At one time, God was working out big plans, but you slipped, you failed because of a combination of distractions and poor choices. Even though his hands were lovingly around you, you and I can still fail. And that gives me pause to realize that it's not a perfect life that he's looking for, but a committed one. And that even when you make mistakes, like the song we sang in worship, you'll run to the Father. You'll run to him. Because that's the best place to go with them. That's the best place to go with a mistake. Running away from him just makes the mistake bigger. Now you've made two mistakes. Even though his hands were there, we fail. The Hebrew word there for marred literally means ruined. And there have been times in my life where I felt I've just ruined everything. Everything got messed up. But there's good news. God can and wants to reshape your life today. He, with Jesus, every one of us can start over again. There are no places that you can go, as we've been reading in Psalm 139, where God can't find you. No matter how many times you've failed, as long as, he is, as long as you stay pliable in his hands and stay on the wheel, he can rebuild your life. He can reshape your life. So stay pli staying pliable is the key. I have issues with people who tell me after many, many years of service in whatever area of service, especially preachers, I know how to do this. I've done it for 30 years. I don't need any help or any instruction or any, any guidance on how to do this. I know how to do this. That is the picture of pride. And, and Proverbs is clear. Pride precedes a fall. So we need to really be pliable. That's why I've been doing this for 30 years as well, and I'm still trying to learn and to grow and to be the best I can be and realize that there's only one being in the universe that never needs to learn, and that's God. The rest of us need to continually learn, continually grow in every area of our lives. Now, if Jeremiah continued to hang around the potter's house for much longer, he would have seen the potter do something else. And it's the process that most of us are most familiar with, the firing process. Oh, yes, the vessel is, goes through the slapping and the cutting and the molding and the spinning. But then comes the fire. Because, you see, it is the only step in bringing this crude shape into a beautiful vessel is to fire it. The pottery is placed in a furnace where it spends a lot of time baking until it is solid. The firing process proves the vessel. It is what will be that determining factor. You see, there are times all of us go through trials. Or is it just me? We all go through trials. We all face things that hurt. We all face things that we can't understand. We all face, whether directly to ourselves or to those around us that we care so much about, we go through fire. But it's through this process that our faith is tried, that our faith is tested, and our faith is proven. So let me be clear. The firing processes in your life, those seasons when you feel like you're going through the fire, the intention of those seasons is to make you better, not bitter. 
How many Christians do we know? They still claim to follow the Lord, but they've become bitter because of the different firing seasons they've had in their lives. The purpose of that season was to make you better. It was to make you stronger. It was to make you more in tune with what God is doing. It was not to make you bitter. The firing process should have made you more useful for the Lord, not less. We should have a thicker skin after the firing process, not a thinner one. Doing the Lord's work is about ministering to people. And his providing fire makes us better able to deal with people. Because how many know it can be tough to deal with people? I've heard so many preachers say, I love pastoring except for those people. <laughs> and I always come back at, if it wasn't for those people, you'd be irrelevant. There'd be no need for you as a pastor. We've got to get to a place where we realize that the things we're going through are so that we can identify with those that are out in the world. So many Christians wear as a badge of honor how they're unable to relate to the people in the world. How are they going to be able to connect with us if we have no idea what they're going through? But all of us have experienced pain. All of us have experienced suffering. All of us have gone through those firing seasons. And that should make us better, not bitter. The last process, there's still one more. Now you're saying, man, be easy on that piece of clay, Lord. There's one more process, and it can be the most enjoyable one that could also be confused. It's the glazing process. Not only does this process prepare the vessel to hold liquids without leaking by sealing, but it's also there to make the vessel beautiful. God sees you as beautiful. Yes, men, he sees you as beautiful. Handsome, whatever word you want to use, but he sees you as gorgeous. We focus on that way too often. He is glazing us so that we don't leak, so that we don't compromise in areas where we could. Be mindful that your beauty is something God is interested in, not a beauty as the world sees, not a beauty as our culture is constantly redefining. He sees maturity as beautiful. He sees a peaceful spirit as beautiful. God sees you having an ability to not have to answer every comment that comes your way, every negative one, every attack as beautiful. Because that's a vessel that can be used. When someone looks at that beautiful vessel, it is not the vessel that they praise. When's the last time that you looked at something, a piece of pottery, that was just gorgeous. And then you looked at the, the pottery, the actual vessel itself, and said, aren't you gorgeous? No, you turn to the potter. And that's what our beauty should do. It should turn us, anything that God has done in our lives that's attractive, anything that God has done in our lives that is a blessing to others, should turn them to God should turn them to him. Anytime we've reached out to help, anytime we've given comfort or support or even helped someone be more cheerful, anytime God has used you to edify and lift someone up, anytime he's used you to feed a thirsty soul, 
The goal is not for them to praise us. But the goal is what we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16. A verse that was the theme verse of the church I came from. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They need to see the good works. But glorify your God who is in heaven. Do you want God to take you today and make you what he wants you to be? Be careful before you answer that question. The answer should be yes, but most people, like is found in other parts of Matthew, don't count the cost. Are you willing to be placed on the wheel and stay there as long as it takes for God to make you into what he wants you to be? So many today want to choose their own place of service. Do what they want and what they think will bring God glory and honor. And what winds up it happening is that it's bringing glory and honor to themselves. But God is still looking for people who will say, like the old hymn of the church, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Old, old hymn of the church. God may not place you on the highest pedestal. He may not place you in the highest position or where on a shelf where everyone can see. Isaiah 64, verse number 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So I return to Jeremiah chapter 18. Chapter 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter? Look at this clay is in the potter's hands. So are you and mine. But to what end? Well, this is the book of Jeremiah. And so I know what many think of when they think of the book of Jeremiah. They think of the book of, the, the, uh, of Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil that will give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen. And you will seek me and find me where you, when you search for me with all your heart. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? I know the thoughts I have for you. God knows the plans he has for you, and they're good ones. But you do know my congregation of Bible scholars that Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, is preceded by 10 other verses. And it's verses where God tells Israel, you're going into captivity. You all messed up. And you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But be of good cheer. I know the thoughts I have towards you, and I'm going to work them out. It's going to take 70 years to work them out, but that's the context of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. So he's promising he knows his thoughts. He's also saying you need to be patient in his hands, on his wheel, because you can't get to Jeremiah 29 until you first stop at the potter's house in Jeremiah 18. Church, we need to stay on the wheel. Stand with me, please. Now I'm going to ask the worship team.